Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. You will be a Hauso kid. When you find yourself sitting on top of a dirt mound, waiting until nobody's looking so the girl from up the street can lick your special place, you really start to take stock of your life. Yes, I was only five, but I was definitely having some kind of serious existential crisis at that exact confusing moment. It was my need to impress that had got me into this mess. I knew that much. My need to impress my perfect, beautiful, calculating eight-year-old sister who thought the whole thing was fucking hilarious. Rhiannon was pretty horrendous to me. I was certain her behaviour qualified her for some kind of psychological program that tested her facial expressions when shown pictures of dead piglets. Let's just say she was walking a very fine line between future CEO and future serial killer. She ended up a working single mum of three, which I think takes just as much precision and brutality as both those positions. She locked me in cupboards, convinced me Pennywise the Clown from Stephen King's It wanted to kill me, busted me when I tried to hide my wet underpants behind the washing machine, standard big sister stuff that I obviously assumed was happening only to me and would eventually be turned into an epic film focusing on my brave survival, which I would write, direct and star in. I considered my relationship with her to be material for my moving yet witty Oscars speech, which would be called Pitch Perfect by the Press. She considered her relationship with me as nothing but an opportunity for hilarious daily sadism. And I worshipped her. She was just so perfect, so cool. All the boys loved her and all the girls wanted to be her. She was so beautiful and mean and understood how to strike that elusive balance between treating people badly and having them desperately want to impress you. She was just instinctively popular, a skill I neither had nor understood. She knew which clothes to pick out at best and less to make it look like she had stepped out of a Mariah Carey video, denim shorts, hat with a sunflower on it. She understood which songs on Rage were cool and which ones weren't. She liked New Kids on the Block when I was still taking my plastic Fisher-Price record player with me to the bath. Rhiannon knew that I wanted her to teach me how to be a cool kid. She also knew that as long as I didn't realise reading R.L. Stein's Goosebumps alone in my room was lame, I never would be. I was freckle-faced, desperate and clueless, and she had the power to get me to do whatever she wanted. So when Leslie, the weird girl who lived in the apartments up the street, asked if we dared her to lick one of our fannies, Rhiannon immediately replied, yes, Rosie does. And that was how she planned to torture me that day. I gave her a look that sat somewhere between, please don't make me do this with the weird girl who always smells like cheese, and, but seriously, if I do this, will you let me hang out with you for the rest of the day? I was the worst kind of desperado. We spent some time haggling over terms. It would be one quick lick. I wouldn't have to take my undies off, only move them to the side. And we would do it on top of Ayers Rock, the giant dirt mound behind our house that was so high nobody would be able to see what we were up to. There was also a strict confidentiality clause. Once the deed was done, it was at DEFCON 5 level secrecy. I had insisted on that terminology. I had no idea what it meant, but I'd heard it on TV where it was always said by an army man and it always sounded serious. And I was the smartest of the three of us by far, which everybody knew, so they didn't question it. What bothered me, though, was that nobody was questioning this Leslie chick. She had mentioned that she could do this weird thing. Rhiannon's face had filled with glee and the operation was in full swing before I even had time to check if my current underwear had skid marks. 
I pulled Rhiannon aside and raised my concerns. Why did this girl want to do this? How did she even know that licking your fanny special place was a thing? Did we really want to trust someone who lived in the apartments and smelled like cheese? Rosanna, she said, rolling her eyes as if I'd just asked her to compete in a poetry competition with me, which I definitely hadn't just days earlier. Just do it. I was so weak-willed that one eye roll was literally all it took. Rhiannon was like some kind of cool magician. One strategic sigh from her could send you into a tailspin of popularity-questioning confusion. I had no choice. I had to do it. I had to let the cheese girl lick my special place. So there I was, sitting on top of the dirt mound, stalling until the exact moment I had to move my undies aside. Rhiannon was sitting next to me, already hysterically laughing, and Leslie was crouched in front of me, trying to calmly convince me that none of this was a big deal. Just a year earlier, I had been living in Hawaii, thrilled that being in America meant I was one step closer to Hollywood. How had I ended up a Hauso kid with the cheese girl's face three inches from my vag? My mind was questioning everything. My identity, the universe, why I still wasn't allowed to have showers instead of baths, even though I was five and writing a screenplay. How had I come to be in this place? It was all because my mum had tried to pull off a pretty woman. After living with Scott the taxi driver for a while, she decided the boob job he had gifted her was being wasted on her nursing gig, so she took those spectacular new implants and went back to charging dudes to touch them. Scott, the taxi driver, the man she shared a bed with, even though he was definitely just her friend, was no more. John, the Navy man, was one of Mum's clients and the man she selected to be her Richard Gere. He was a US Navy sailor from Hawaii looking for some fun. Instead, he found a beautiful call girl who he could rescue. And just like that, John, the Navy man, married Mum, told her she could stop working that icky job and whisked her away to take care of her. Oh, and I'm sure she was the first call girl he ever went to see, and he definitely only did it out of peer pressure. Romance, fairy tales, etc., etc. Before I knew what the hell was what, my sister and I were on a plane to Hawaii. We moved into a Navy compound and started school. I found a palm tree out the front that I could practice hitting with my ninja turtle sword. We made friends and chased geckos and frogs around the backyard. My dad recorded all the cartoon theme songs off the Australian Saturday Disney and sent them to me on a tape so I could set up an arena in the living room and practice my performance skills. I thought things were pretty damn great. Then came talk of a transfer to Wisconsin, which my mother accurately deduced was not Hawaii. And just as quickly as we had come, we left. One day we just got on a plane and flew back to Sydney. We had only been in Honolulu for 10 months. I'm fairly certain my mum just wanted a holiday. We never saw John the Navy man again, and my mum never sold her body again, which meant we had no money, no man, and no place to go. It was time for us to become a Hauso family. I'm sure most Australian public housing is really quite lovely, but there can also be certain pockets that are cesspools of poverty, crime, and a ridiculous amount of unprotected sex, which often results in lots of scary gangs made up of children without shoes. In order to try and stop these cesspools from occurring, Hauso homes were often built into regular neighbourhoods as a kind of regular people buffer for those of us who couldn't be trusted when all lumped together, diluting the problem, if you will. We were not diluted with a regular neighbourhood. My mum, Rhiannon and I were placed in Smurf Village, one of the only exclusively Hauso neighbourhoods in New South Wales. Also called Legoland, or sometimes the ghetto, it had been named as such because all the houses were identical, connected and blue. The townhouses literally looked like giant blue Lego blocks that had been snapped together in long rows. 
The ghetto nickname was thrown around because the neighbourhood was also completely closed off. There was only one road in and that road led to every corner of Smurf Village. It was like one of those gated communities that rich families live in on TV, except we didn't need a gate because anybody who didn't live there was too scared to drive in anyway. And our houses certainly weren't as nice. Smurf Village was gloriously located in North Ride, with Macquarie Shopping Centre on one side and the El Rancho Bar and Bistro on the other. After being lugged around to countless shitty homes in our short little lives, everywhere from country New South Wales to Honolulu Navy compounds, Rhiannon and I felt like we had landed in a cosmopolitan paradise. I was relieved to finally be exposed to the culture that I felt I deserved. Macquarie Centre was like our mecca. There was an ice skating rink, a McDonald's and a KFC, a Woolworths, even a playland made to look like an African safari. And if you were really lucky and it was a special occasion, your mum would buy you a dress from Grace Brothers instead of Big W, but you had to make sure you told everyone so they would know the difference. You also had to keep the tags on, which I didn't exactly understand, but I did notice that usually once I wore a Grace Brothers dress, my mum took it away. The El Rancho was the epitome of Smurf Village Bogan class. There was a bar for the grown-ups and a bistro for the kids, and the men would put on their best white jeans and masseur sandals if it was after 6pm. The sign out the front made it look like a Spanish resort, and pulling into that car park meant you were definitely getting chicken nuggets and chips for dinner, and the lemonade was always pink because when you went to the El Rancho, you did things right. Yep, Smurf Village was smack bang in the middle of Northride's cultural epicentre. I actually couldn't believe how many rungs up the ladder I had managed to climb. And being within walking distance of Macquarie and the El Rancho wasn't even the best part. The best part was that Smurf Village was overrun with kids. All kids our age and all with parents whose concept of supervision was telling them to be home by dark and not to talk to the mentally disabled guy who told us that if we came back to his house he would give us Kit Kats. It was heavenly mayhem. We would run around in giant packs, chasing each other in epic games of Home 44 or climbing the massive pile of dirt and rubble that was apparently meant to end up a park but would eventually just be christened Ayers Rock. Rhiannon and I were officially part of a gang of shoeless Hauso kids and it was all because our mum had made a failed attempt at pulling off a pretty woman. People who drove past our compound on the way to Macquarie probably considered us trash, and the police who did the rounds in their cars each night shook their heads when we said we didn't know where our parents were. But we had fun together. Most of the kids who lived there had seen, or were still seeing, some messed up stuff in their short little lives, and playing Home 44 until 10 o'clock at night made us feel normal. Mitchell and Marcus lived across the street. Their dad was a heroin addict who only turned up occasionally and their mum beat the absolute shit out of them for the most bizarre reasons, like closing the door too loudly or knocking over a pot plant. There was the Guatemalan family next door who I could have sworn had about 27 people living in that one tiny house. Nina was our age and when we walked to Macquarie, her parents couldn't even afford to give her money for a soft serve from Macca's. Tim lived a few houses down from us and the police were at his place all the time. When our rabbit had babies, we gave him two of them and he drowned them both in his pool. Then, of course, there was Leslie, the weird girl who smelled like cheese and lived in the Hauso apartments, which was the only thing worse than living in a blue Lego house. I went to her apartment once, motivated mostly by a sense of curiosity and the promise of dinner. When her mum dropped a plastic plate of half-defrosted fish fingers in front of us and went back to watching Wheel of Fortune, I was mortified. 
I felt like I needed to stage some kind of intervention. I wanted to put my hand on hers and ask if there was anything I could do and maybe gently hint at the cheese odour situation. Then she said we should go to her bedroom and act out the sex scenes from Days of Our Lives. Yep, every kid at Smurf Village had obviously seen some messed up stuff. I tried to focus on those sad, defrosted fish fingers while sitting on top of Ayers Rock. I was hoping they would conjure some kind of sympathy in me that would enable me to get through this so-called quick lick. She's so much worse off than you, I was telling myself. You are such a generous spirit for doing this, and you'll get to hang out with Rhiannon for the rest of the day. I took a deep breath, reached down, pulled my undies aside, and gave the go-ahead. Do it, I said, suddenly remembering that sometimes my fanny smelled bad and praying this wasn't one of those times. Just do it! Leslie bent down, gave me a quick lick, and that was it. The whole thing lasted less than a second. Leslie burst into hysterical laughter. I immediately looked to Rhiannon for approval. She had demanded I do the thing, and I had done the thing. I was sure this would gain me some respect, at least for the day. Oh, my God, Rhiannon said in disbelief. I can't believe you did it. Ew, I can't believe you did it. She got up, sprinted down the side of Ezrock and headed straight to Nina's house, no doubt to spread the word that I had spread my legs. That was not how I had anticipated the operation turning out. I pushed Leslie over, told her she smelled like cheese and went back to my room to plan my next Oscar speech. This one was going to be fucking good. By about six o'clock that evening, Mum knew everything and she was not impressed. She may have been living in the ghetto, but she grew up on the North Shore, damn it, and this was not how children were supposed to behave. She didn't like the little boy who had drowned our rabbits in the pool and she definitely now had a problem with the girl who had licked my fanny. She considered us fish out of water, like a reverse Beverly Hillbillies, and we were obviously better people than this. It didn't help that every so often my adopted grandparents would come to visit, turning up in their very fancy car, looking horrified and politely refusing to make contact with any foreign surface. But they would never stay long, and when they left, as much as my mum didn't want to believe it, they would take the North Shore with them. We did belong at Smurf Village. We were part of Legoland. We lived in the ghetto. And nothing made that more obvious than when my dad started to show up. That's it, Mum. I saw you writing some stuff down. What were you writing down? I didn't write anything. I was just doodling. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were making notes. No. no. <laughs> you know Smurf Village is um, getting knocked down. Yes. I mean, that was a bit of a failed social experiment, that was. Yeah. They ma- they realised that they'd made a mistake putting Ghetto-wise, disadvantaged yeah. people all, all together. All together with various you know, I loved problems. it. That was the funnest place we ever lived for me and Rhiannon. There well, was so it, it many was good as there. far as children, yeah. And I would like to add that I never would have allowed you to come home at 10 o'clock. You had to be home before it got dark. That is not true because we used to play these long, long games of Home 44 no when way. it was really dark. No, because everything in was the world. so well lit. I wouldn't have allowed you out. No, I didn't. I would never have done that. Oh, my God. Yes, you did, but okay, fine. You did, though. We used to stay out late playing. Home 44 and skipping. We had massive skipping You're just skipping trying to, rope. you know, picture yourself and all those kids as little ragamuffins or something. We were little ragamuffins. Which you weren't. You never, you never 
ran around barefoot. I'm not saying like it was Charles Dickens, but dirt, it was with dirty faces. We and, did I run mean, around barefoot. Bare, bare yes, we did, Mum. Oh yeah, near a park where people used to take drugs. We with did. needles thrown all over the place. No, I don't think so. All right, fine, but we did. Well, okay. Do you remember the night you found out um, Leslie had licked my fanny? No. You were so angry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Rhiannon and I were really scared to tell you, and I remember um, we were in the bath, me and Rhiannon were in the bath, and we were, like, looking at each other and we were trying to decide whether or not we should say anything, and you knew something was up and you were like, what? What's going on? What's going on? You were getting really annoyed. And then eventually I said, um, Leslie, <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, Rhiannon made me let Leslie lick my fanny and you, because we used to call it a fanny. I don't mm. know why. Why did you, why was that the word you picked? Well, I didn't really use that word. <laughs> yes, you did. I still don't use it. You, we used to say, because you know how some kids say like wee wee instead of vagina? We used to say fanny. Mm. Anyway, and so I said Rhiannon made me let Leslie lick my fanny or something like that. I tried to blame it on Rhiannon and you were so angry and your face, like I, I remember your face just, I thought I was in trouble. Like you were so mad and you like stomped off downstairs, I guess, to tell um, Taylor's dad or I don't even know, like you stomped off downstairs and then you came back up and you told us we weren't allowed to hang out with Leslie anymore. Is this, I is can't this the girl across remember. the road or the girl in the apartment? No, the girl in the apartments. Um, so you don't remember the I remember, day it happened? I remember their apartment. Yeah. I went there once and she asked me to act out sex scenes from Days of Our Lives and so I didn't the, want to go there The again. little girl. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, her mother would have watched that crap. And then she, yeah, and then she, um, and then she asked if <laughs> anyway, she Anyway, no, I can't, I can't really remember. And I was so furious at Rhiannon because she told me she would keep it a secret and then as soon as it was done she told everyone in Smurf Village. Mm. Everybody knew that I'd gotten a quick lick on top of Ez Rock, on top of the dirt mound. <laughs> what was it like for you living in Smurf Village? Oh, it was difficult. It was, I mean, it was in interesting living with people from different, well, it's it was not the same actually. It's not what the North same Shore. socioeconomic backgrounds, ground that, that we were in. I mean, single parents. I mean, there were, there were a lot of couples though. There were a lot of couples with mm. children. But a lot of messed up stuff, though. Like, a lot of those kids had, like, that boy who drowned our rabbits in the pool. There's a couple of little boys. Yeah, and so we had to give all the I rabbits didn't. away. I had no idea that had happened. And we gave them two rabbits, and they put them in the pool to see which one would die for, like, oh, drown first. God. Like, a I lot of these kids that. were, it wasn't their fault. Like, they had really dysfunctional childhoods, and they were all under 10. Like, it was... So we thought we had struggled, but it was bad there. Most I mean, of the kids I know the thing from is, there are in jail. The ones I've found on Facebook and stuff, they all like got pregnant very, very young or ended up in prison, which makes me so sad. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, the reason I, I ended up in that place was because I, I went from Hawaii back to staying in Tuma. Mm. Your father had actually said, I've given up drinking, I've planted this wonderful vegetable garden. I'm thinking, gee, things would be a lot different 
back with Anthony, you know what I mean? If he wasn't drinking. So he's writing me all these letters about how he'd been and, of course, it was all absolute lies. So I got back, stayed at mum and dad's place for about one week at North Taramara. I knew that wasn't bloody going to work because mum would go off after, after, you know, finding one teaspoon in the sink. Mm. So having two children yeah, yeah, and being yeah. in that, that house, I mean, it just wasn't going to work. So I, I went to Tumut and it was worse than what it had ever been. What do you mean worse? Your father and your grandfather were drinking so heavily. Yeah. And it was just absolutely dreadful. Did you think, because he had been just so abusive and horrible since the two of you got together, mm. did you think that it was because he was an alcoholic, like because he was drinking so much and taking drugs? Like did you honestly think that if he was sober he would be a no, nice I man? No, I think so. I think he had a, a real cruel streak, very, very cruel streak. Do you think yeah. that that's because... Of the schizophrenia? No, I don't believe so. Um, as far as I could tell, he—I didn't think he had schizophrenia. He had a couple of. He did have things. I know, though. I know, he did. But you didn't In know at the time. Well, no, they kept it from me. Mm. But he covered it really well. I mean, he had pages and pages of ranting, rambling writings mm. that. He had, and he had this fictitious daughter called Sarah, you know, that he'd made up and didn't exist at all. Yeah, I remember he used to. There write was a couple of things. Yeah, there was a couple of um, things like that. But apart from that, I mean, as you know, I, I, I got into mental health, and I was mm-hmm. working in mental health for more than ten years, and he he covered it very well. Mm. So I don't think it was due to schizophrenia at all. I think he was just an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. When I was in Wagga, I actually had put my name on the uh, Department of Housing waiting list for a, for a house, mm. and um, and I'd just completely forgotten about it. So then, when I went back, when I went to Tumut, I revisited that mm. and found out I was right at the top of the list. I was lucky. For a couple of years, I hadn't even thought about it, but I was at the top of the list, and that's how we ended up. Going to Sydney, getting away from Tumut again, and that was the the house that that we were offered. If we hadn't been at the top of the list, we probably would have been stuck with Dad, hey? And it was pretty bad. It was terrible. Because that's when he and Grandpa were just waking up and drinking from, like... Dad, I remember Dad used to wake up at, like, 4 a.m. because he was going into withdrawal and he needed to start drinking that early. Yeah. It was bad. And And your grandfather... The shocking shakes that he had yeah. every morning. He had to drink his coffee with a straw. Because he was shaking sit, so Yeah, much. sitting at the table with his straw. Hey, can I ask, did you ever really think that Hawaii was going to be a long-term thing? Like, were you really oh. planning on staying married to that dude or were you just scamming a holiday? Oh, For realsies, just you and me now, Mum. No, I thought it was an interesting possibility. Going, <laughs> going to America. <laughs> you married someone because it was an interesting possibility. You're a ledge. I was fond of him. <laughs> you were fond of him. Mum, you're the best. You're so funny. <laughs> so you, you, you were fond of him and it was an interesting possibility. <laughs> yes. 
I liked living in Hawaii. <laughs> no, it was good to sort of see a different view of life. We lived in that hollow volcano. <laughs> on, the, on the international scene. <laughs> on the international scene. And we lived in that hollow volcano. That yeah, but, cool. you know, we saw a side to Hawaii that you don't think it exists. It's not just Waikiki. So much dreadful poverty over there. Well, yeah. there was back then. I mean, I don't remember that, but people I just do ask me, it. oh, were you at the beach every day? And I don't remember going to the beach once the whole time I We was No, there. we used to go to one beach. It was actually on the Air Force Base. Yeah, right. We used to, be able to, we used to go there and you could smell the jet fuel in the water. It wasn't so much waves. There was mainly, you mainly got the waves where they have the surfing. Yeah. On the North Shore there, which is a beautiful area, but... Moved to Hawaii for what ten months? It's a nice little holiday for us all. Yeah, well, I was I was flying there and back for about three years. Were you really that long? Yeah. And where were we then with Dad? Yeah. Still can't believe you left us with Dad, Mum. It was such a dysfunctional place. I have some effed up memories from being alone with the two of them. But he ended yeah. up being a bit cray cray, didn't he? Who? Your um, temporary husband that you were quite fond of. Oh, no, he, he couldn't hold his liquor. Because <laughs> I don't. He couldn't hold his liquor. We we had a um, a wedding party there for uh, some friends, mm. you know, and the reception was there. And at our house. Yeah, yeah. At our at our townhouse that we had there. Yeah. And. He just lost the plot. I was talking to a couple of the guests, as you do. Yeah. You try and be sociable. Yeah. And he just went crazy. What, jealous? Crazy jealous, yeah. He smashed his glass on one of the poles outside holding the like the canopy of the veranda. Mm. And that was it. Came inside. He took the whole table, <gasps> was covered with food, and just turned it all upside down. And then everyone else just, everyone just ran off. <gasps> oh, God. He ruined their wedding. Yeah, well, he did, actually. And then he, he started harassing me, and I was in the little um, downstairs toilet. Yeah. And you girls were upstairs asleep. No, I was awake. Oh, you were, no, you were next door, actually. I remember. Yeah, and anyway, he was carrying on. And I thought, oh, no, what can I do? So the only thing I could do is take my stiletto off. So I took off my stiletto, banged him over the top of the head with <gasps> it. You did not. I didn't do anything to him. And then he pretended to collapse. <laughs> did, oh, God, Mum. Did he actually collapse, though? He pretended he was, like, half dead. Well, did you not stab him with a stiletto? No, I didn't stab him at all. I went, I, it's the only thing. Weapon I had was my shoe. Well, yeah, I whacked a him over massive the top of man the was getting violent, so you you whacked, whacked him, him with, with your my shoe. shoe. Yeah, and then the military police come and arrest me and take take what? they arrest me and they take me off to the where the, the military people where they get in trouble and they're taken to the cells. You went to military jail. Yeah, God, you've had the best life. Wasn't good. Cool. You know, I remember in the so back that I was handcuffed what? in the back of the car. Yeah. And I, I managed to get out of the ha handcuffs, you know. Were you drunk? No, I'd had a few drinks, but I wasn't drunk by any means. I remember that night. Um, and he, pretend, he pretended to be out cold. So I gave the statement and, like, it was his fault. And they get in big trouble for any kind of... Like domestic violence? Yeah, like that. And he was put into the, well, like a hospital. Because a you big, great big military him with hospital. I didn't stab him. 
I whacked him over the head with my stiletto, okay? Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, he, they didn't even let him get a lift home. He was discharged from his hospital. Yeah. He had to walk home in a hospital gown all the way from this hospital. Well, good. That's That should yep. be how they treat men yep. who are violent towards That's what women. happened. And he had to go on the bridge. I mean, what else he were you meant go, to do? He had to go and stay in the on the ship. Your shoe was all you had. That's all I heard. But anyway. And then did we leave not long after that is when we left? Also, because I wrote in my book, Wisconsin, is that right? That he'd no. been, where had he been transferred to? Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, where it's like, twin, no, not transferred. He was leaving. Well, right, yeah, like he was. The Navy. And he had to go home. And he was telling me how it's 40 degrees below. <laughs> and you were like, and like Fuck he's telling that. me, he's telling me <laughs> you can't even go outside without having so many layers of clothing on. And like, you get stuck inside your house. And you had to get your snow, get all the snow out of your driveway. And, like, if your heating fails, you're dead. So you decided. There's no way I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, there's four definite seasons. And I said, oh, my God. No, I'm not going to Minnesota. So you you were fond of him, but you weren't that fond of him. No. Not 40 below fond of him. No way. I wasn't going there. So I thought, right, I'm... I'm." And I was really homesick too. Mm. Australia's the best country in the world. So did we... We snuck away, didn't we? How did we do that? Middle of the night. No, it wasn't the middle of the night. Because of his job, he had to sleep on the ship every four days. Yeah. And it was just so happens that we... Left on one of the days he was sleeping on the ship. Oh, that's a um, useful. He knew I was going. Did he know? Yeah, really? because the American government paid for our flights back to Australia, plus paid for all our stuff to be shipped back in a container. Stop! Really? Yeah, they really? they looked after Army their people really, really well. And so then uh, I remember Grandpa met us at the airport. Yeah, in Sydney, and then we went back to Dad. With those two. So that was the end of that little holiday. Why do you think um, you're attracted to men like that? I'm not. He was just probably the worst. Who? Your father. Dad. Because he was absolutely so highly intelligent. What does that have to do with anything? Because he could be so extremely manipulative. But he was also physically abusive. Yeah, he was. Not overly, not overly. There was a few incidents where, yes, he was. Why are you attracted to such duds? I'm not. Mum, they're all duds. But you know what? You know what one of the most important things in a relationship is? What? That the other person has a sense of humour and makes you laugh. But you and also don't want them to get drunk and all, hit you. No, well, your father was the worst there. He he was the worst. Right. Because I get that from you. I look for someone who makes me laugh. Oh, Although no. You have to. Have, if you don't have that, I've always looked looked for that. I don't know. I just think you haven't always picked the best men. No, I haven't. Probably not. Do you regret our holiday in Hawaii? No. I think it was a good experience. I'll never have to go back there again. <laughs> and I know the, the side of Hawaii that most people don't know. The shit side. The poverty. <laughs> the poverty <laughs> of the Hawaiian people. Mum, I saw you rolling your eyes when um, I 
spoke about how you used to return our clothes to Grace Brothers after we wore them. That is bullshit. I took back your frocks from you Grace did Brothers. So. You did so. I did not. Because Rhiannon once won this modelling contest. She kept all those clothes. No, you took them back. Well, what would you know? Look how young you were. I would never have done that. I remember a lot, Mom. And I didn't. Thank you. I did never took them back and I would never have done that. I remember. I know exactly what outfit I bought. When there was a special occasion, you got to get a dress from Grace Brothers, but then sometimes you would keep the tags on it because you were going to take it back. That is rubbish. It's not rubbish. Why do you always say it's rubbish? I remember things. I don't things. always say it's rubbish. I remember things. Yeah, anyway, okay. I think we just have different perspectives on a shared experience, Mum. I think you misremember. No, I don't. I was there too. (sighs) Everyone has their own memories. Yeah. And if you don't have the memories, you fill it in, I suppose. Anyway. And you think that's what I've done? Yeah, in some respects. With what you think happened, yeah. But anyway, yeah. That's so frustrating to me because... My memories are so vivid, Mum, of so much of this stuff. And to then have you say that I'm misremembering it is really annoying. I mean, I accept it. I accept that I was a kid and a lot of it was yeah, a traumatic time. Yeah, and you were, very, you were very young as well. You have to remember that. Mm. And we weren't, you know, we, we didn't live at that place for very long. No, I know we didn't. Mm. I still think that, I don't know, I remember it a lot better than you think I do. And I'm the one who got to write a book, so sucker. (laughs) (laughs) You look so unimpressed. (laughs) You should write your own book. No way. With your own version. No. Well, that's what this is for. This is for you to give your own version. Yeah, okay. I will concede that you never returned our clothes to Grace Brothers after we wore them. No, I do. I am aware that people do that. I'm aware that you did it. Oh, actually, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Agree to disagree. Yeah. The El Rancho, Mum, up the road, the bistro, where we got pink lemonade and chicken nuggets. That's where you met Taylor's dad, hey? Yes, through my friend Gay. It's called The Ranch now. The Ranch is very fancy now, but back then it was the El Rancho. Yeah. Well, it was local. It was just up on the corner. Was that your local drinking hole? Well, it was the closest place we could walk there if necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I used to go there with Gay every Friday night because they, they, for females they had $10 all you can drink. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you, you get, serious? Yeah, yeah, you got this plastic cup. It was just for the females <gasps> and, you, and you can drink whatever you wanted for $10 all night. So That's I think one... Tr- I think one night, Gay. I think one night, Gay and I got to twenty drinks. What sh- shared? No, each. Each yeah. twenty drinks each. Yeah, yeah. Mum. You'd have to go back, like even <laughs> even if you had beer and you wanted to get wine, you had to go back with the same plastic cup. <laughs> that is like some we RSA dangerous. Level I know, shit. but they don't have that anymore. When was there? this? The early nineties. Yeah. I probably would have died if and I then, been Oh God! Was, I wow. think I had to put a bit of a damper on it when when you started decided you wanted to do little athletics. So I had to, on Saturday morning. I had to be up on Saturday morning for you to go. <laughs> oh, so you couldn't have twenty drinks? Oh, no, that was probably the biggest night we had. I think. 
Oh my god, the El Rancho. Yeah. Unlimited drinks for the ladies. Only for, yeah, only for the women. So, man, we've talked about El Rancho. Yeah. Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Smurf Village. Yeah. Uh, the thing I'm most shocked by is that you could have unlimited drinks for ladies. Well, they used to do that. <laughs> That's the most shocking <laughs> revelation that I think may come out of this entire podcast. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, I think we might just leave it there then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> In the next episode... Everybody had a dad like that or like someone in their family. Yeah, I know. So we weren't unusual there, but still he was known around Smurf Village as this guy who just randomly turned up all the time, really drunk. Some of the most vivid and traumatic memories of my childhood are from having to go and stay with him and grandpa in the school holidays. Well, you never said anything to me. I, I was not aware until I was informed. I didn't think he'd be like that. My God. He was sleeping in our garage, urinating on himself, and you sent us to stay with him by ourselves. Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.